and welcome to Positive Mental Attitude, a podcast about the positive aspects of mental health. I'm Juliette Burton. I'm a comedian, a speaker, a writer, normally in the reverse order, and I'm also a mental health advocate. Now, mental health conditions are obviously um, not particularly cool or not seen that way i'm pretty sure that i haven't done anything cool for years actually but uh, nor are they a reason to be ashamed so please don't be ashamed if you have mental health conditions unless you have a reason that otherwise to feel ashamed i don't know about your life but but you know don't be ashamed about your mental health that's that's the point I often wonder if the term for a collector of mental health conditions is called a Juliet Burton because so far I have collected the following. Anorexia, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, bulimia, bipolar disorder, it's worth saying twice because it's got two parts, compulsive overreaching disorder, depression, psychotic hallucinations and even OCD, that's obsessive compulsive disorder for anyone not in the know. I'm hoping that if I keep them in mint condition one day I'll be able to flog all of those conditions and make millions. Now, there are lots of challenges to dealing with mental health, but an obligation to be miserable about them isn't one. But be sad if you like. That's absolutely fine. That's your choice if you want, but it's probably better to avoid feeling unhappy. So in this podcast, we focus on the solutions and the positive aspects of mental illness, of which I believe there are many. So welcome. The Positive Mental Attitude podcast is only possible thanks to our lovely sponsor, Stagecoach Group. I, for one, have always associated buses with having a positive mental attitude, and now, thanks to Stagecoach's sponsorship, I'll no longer look weird when I bring that up at parties. Or at least look as weird. I still look pretty weird at parties, but thank you very much, Stagecoach. Now, joining me this week is Shakira Akabusi, health and fitness expert and journalist. In 2015, she launched Strong Like Mum, a project that strives to inspire, encourage and engage mothers from all walks of life. I find it inspiring and I'm not even a mother. So if you are one, do check it out. Shakira, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Uh, So firstly, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your mental health journey, your mental health background? Yeah, so um, I actually struggled with OCD. Um, Oh, snap! Snap! (laughs) Um, I've struggled with OCD since I was a child. Um, And when I was really young, I used to call it witch curses and me and my friend I don't know if you've read that Roald Dahl book about um witches it's the, called the witches. witches yeah yeah, yeah. And it really freaked me out when I was younger. Anyway, so we used to call it a witch curse. And I'd say to my best friend, oh, I really, I just have the urge. I need to run and touch that wall, you know, 10 times. And she'd always be like, oh, do it, do it, do it. So we grew up calling it a witch curse. Um, and then it wasn't until sort of my teenage years when I realised that actually it was. And, and up until that point, it was very, not superficial, but, you know, it was OCD. I mean, I, I believe many people are on the OCD scale to some extent, but it was all very manageable and it wasn't anything too extreme um, until my teenage years. And then again, it faded. And for a long time, I never really, I wouldn't have considered myself to have OCD until I had children. Um, And so I have a very specific type of OCD now, which is referred to as maternal OCD, um, which is related completely to my children and my immediate family and um, keeping them safe. Yeah, I I, um, I wanted to bring in uh, what Rethink Mental Illness because they are the lovely people who not only um, are the experts behind this podcast to give me all the information that I don't know, uh, <laughs> but they also are the reason that you're here because we're both ambassadors. A, yeah, exactly. For, absolutely. Um, somebody, somebody said to me, oh, ambassador is like a celebrity ambassador. And I always find the word celebrity a bit odd, but um, <laughs> but sure, let's go with that. Um, they have told me a little bit about um, obsessive compulsive disorder. They've said um, that they it's obsessive compulsive disorder can come in lots of different ways Uh, you will have obsessions compulsions or both uh, if you have OCD and an obsession is an unwelcome thought or image that you keep thinking about and is largely out of your control Uh, so these can be very difficult to ignore these thoughts Uh, they can be very disturbing which can make you feel distressed and anxious and a compulsion is something that you think about or do repeatedly to relieve anxiety like the touching the wall or um, I think for me there was things like um, making everything point in the same direction for, Mm -hmm. for a few years that was a huge compulsion um this can be hidden or it can be obvious Uh, it can be saying a phrase in your head or to calm yourself or checking that the front door is locked you might believe that something bad will happen if you don't do these things you may realize that your thinking and behavior is not logical but still find it very difficult to stop there are different types of ocd which include contamination which is a need to clean and wash because (coughs) something or someone is contaminated thank you for coughing so sorry excellent no no i love it it's contamination we're talking about (laughs) contamination you're giving me wonderful sound effects i love it and luckily that 
that's not my type of OCD. <laughs> uh, checking. Uh, the constant need to check yourself or your environment to prevent damage, fire, leaks or harm of some kind. Intrusive thoughts. Now, this is something I really struggle with still. Thoughts which are repetitive, upsetting and often horrific. Hoarding. Not feeling able to throw away useless or worn out items. That's definitely something I still struggle with. So when it comes to maternal OCD, mm-hmm. Shakira, now this is new even for me to hear about. So what what is specifically maternal OCD? So maternal OCD, I think, as I said, is very much, you know, around, surrounds my children in particular, um, but, but also my immediate family. I think what's really important about what you just said there is that intrusive thought. And for a long time, I didn't, I wasn't identifying them. So for me, maternal OCD, which I don't know if you'll find this in any book, but this is, you know, what really is important for me to make this distinction is that I find it really difficult to distinguish between my instinct and an OCD thought. And it kind of crept back in because, for example, my um, eldest son, who's now he's nearly four, he had um, a really bad um, experience with croup. And in the middle of the night, he suddenly woke up, had a really extreme uh, bout of croup. He couldn't breathe. For anyone who doesn't know what what, what croup is, it's a... Oh, so it's, like, it's an inflammation of the airways. For, for us, it would be like laryngitis. But for children, often, I think it's between six months and three, four years old, where it's, you know, most common. It's quite common. But it sounds really horrific because the airwaves are already so tiny, they really struggle to breathe in and they'll make a really harsh rasping sound. Mm. And his, you know, happened in the middle of the night and I had never heard of this before. So all of a sudden I just woke up and he couldn't breathe. And it was it was a really traumatic experience for me. He was absolutely fine. You know, it was, it was I just wasn't prepared for that. Anyway, after that time, every time he would get a cough or a cold or sound slightly hoarse, in my head, I was like, oh my God. And I remember saying to my husband, right, I'm going to have to sleep in his room. I have to wake up every half an hour. I have to keep taking his temperature. I need to make sure. I don't... And all these things where he was like, Shakira, this is this is not necessary. And for me, I had these visions of this, you know, really extreme. He can't breathe. He's, he's going to be scared. He's... All these things that I sort of, you know, turned that into. And on one hand, if I'd sat down with someone and said, oh, I'm really worried. He had a bad experience with creep. And actually, I'm a bit nervous about it. Sounds totally, totally reasonable. And that's fine. But the extreme that I was going to underneath that, which which was sort of an anxiety-led thought, because OCD is an anxiety-driven disorder, that anxiety was driving a lot of this thought and I had not, I wasn't aware of where I crossed that line. And I found it really difficult to distinguish for a long time between, as I said, an OCD thought or an anxiety-driven thought and something that is actually quite common. Do you find that that's a, a misconception about things like OCD? Where for me, it's it's so obvious now that the behaviour that I exhibit around my OCD, it's a survival mechanism to try to calm this outrageous, unbearable amount of anxiety that my my brain, my body can't cope with. So, in a way although it doesn't make any logical sense, it does make perfectly logical sense within the logic of obsessive compulsive disorder. So do you, do you find that people have misconceptions around it? Um, yeah, I do. I think that um, it was interesting you said earlier, you know, celebrity. And, the, and mm. I think what's happened is, in particular with OCD, well, no, and to be fair, and anxiety, I mean, anxiety, OCD is an anxiety-driven disorder, but those two words, you will hear so many people misusing those words. The amount of people that will be like, oh, God, I've got terrible OCD. Like, you don't have OCD because actually you don't, you know, to really have something like that is just a completely different ball game. I've come through that now. So I've come through like a year, year and a half long recovery. And I, I, you know, I mean, mental health is a journey. So I'm definitely still coping with that every day. But yeah, I think, I think, I think that, yeah, there, there are misconceptions. But actually what's most important is for you to become really self-aware of, um, of of yourself and that that really is the most important thing when you become really self-aware of yourself and also your mind because actually the mind is a is a really powerful thing and I'm actually I'm actually really glad for the journey that I've been on with OCD because I've learned so much about myself and others that I I wouldn't change it. Well, let's focus on that journey because you you said that this you you realised this was related as a maternal OCD. How did you start seeking help? Who did you turn to? So for me, as I said, you know, I've struggled on and off with OCD for a long time. The real turning point, it it became for a long time, it was manageable and I just lived with it. Um, And my husband, who I live with, 
just lived with it. You know, he, he was used to it and it, it was just part of our life. And then it was my son who, as I said earlier, who's now turned four. He was about two and a half and we were walking home and I, on that particular day, had something about stepping in and out of drains and blah, blah, blah. And I was trying to not do it and I, I an, crossed... An obsessive thought, an, a, a compulsion. A compulsion, exactly. I had this compulsion about drains. I needed to step back and forth, da, da, da. And I got to a drain and I walked just across it and I managed to not do it. And my two and a half year old said... Mama, Mama, wait, wait, you've missed one. You've missed one. Mm. And I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, because for so long in my head, it was keeping my children safe. And in that instance, I realised actually, I do not, I, I don't want that to transfer to you because your whole life could be affected. So that, and it, and it is my responsibility. Um, and still, you know, I tried, but still I didn't find quite the right help. And, I, you know, I was really still struggling. And it all culminated about a year and a half ago. We were meant to get a flight to California. And the day before the flight, I was walking it, from Brick Lane to Liverpool Street, which is a seven-minute tube journey. And it took me three hours to do that seven-minute walk because I had so many compulsions. And I'd finished work at 8 p.m. And I needed to get home and pack and blah, blah, blah. And it took me three hours to get from... Uh, from Brick Lane to Liverpool Street at 11pm. I, I had to get the last train home at 11.15 from Waterloo. Got home at like one o'clock in the morning or something. And I, I felt, I was so stressed and anxious. I could not bring myself to pack because everything had to be packed perfectly and blah, blah, blah. In the end, woke up in the morning. My husband was trying to throw my things into the bag. I was having a complete meltdown. We were in the car, got all the way to the airport. And I, I looked at the airport doors and I was like... I can't do it. I cannot. The amount of uh, compulsions that I need to do to get from here just to the check-in desk, let alone to the... I can't move. And I literally was frozen on the spot and I was like, I can't move. I, I can't. I can't move. I cannot move. And so we had to get back in the car, turn all the way home, go home, call the airline, cancel the flight, blah, blah, blah. And to explain to a three-year-old, my son was, you know, three then, just about three, to explain to him, we're not actually going on holiday was it's really difficult to explain that to you know if you have children you know what it's like to build something up like that and to have to explain to him actually know everything's changing and it was a massive thing and on that day I was like okay this has to this has to stop because this is I can no longer live my life or any kind of life and not only that I'm impacting the life of everyone around me I have to change it so I went on a big journey I worked with a brilliant um he was actually on the NHS a really brilliant therapist there who helped me and I've I've tried a lot of times cognitive behavioral therapy and often it has not worked for me so I'm I'm a big believer in it's more about the person that is teaching you that than the actual therapy itself um I did hypnotherapy and um and then also uh exercise but I mean it's always been a big part of my life but I really sort of invested in that and tried to turn my thoughts into that and that all of those things really massively helped me so much that firstly want to ask you about um well let's touch upon that rapport mm -hmm. because the, the therapist that you get this is something that I yeah. I wish I'd known sooner in my mental health journey that if you don't get on with the person mm -hmm. who's meant to be treating you it's never going to work like you need to have that rapport that trust element there and yes they're in a position of authority but you don't have to just say okay fine I'm yes that person I don't really feel like I'm going to open up to um but you were lucky you got somebody from the NHS who you felt like you could you could speak to so as I said I had actually I, I tried it many times um before to, before yeah to find the right person and um it's not even necessarily about liking them because the the man I ended up working with I didn't even necessarily like him he was he was very good I had many therapists and if someone if you struggle with OCD I think anyone can relate often people that struggle with uh, mental health conditions, they're big thinkers, you know, sometimes even overthinkers. I certainly am. And I would often sit with a therapist and I'd almost be able to outthink them. Yes. And I was like, you know, and, and then suddenly I was like, I don't trust you because I, I already know I can, I, I just just very clever in the way that my thinking was. And I think, no, 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 you, you're not thinking the same. You know, you can't keep up with the levels that I'm delving into something. So no. Um he was very good at keeping a very professional barrier. I had some therapists who almost became friends and I'd sit down and I'd be like, how are you? How's it? Oh, that must be really... I'd be saying to them, it must be really hard for you. Oh, gosh, well, you're doing so great. You look amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and it was just crossed a barrier. With him, he was very good at keeping that, not student-teacher relationship, but very, you know, very much, I'm the therapist, you're, you know, you're the patient, that relationship. 
And also for me, what was crucial is I needed to understand why. I needed to understand on, I mean, a very basic scientific level, but I needed to understand why my mind was doing this. Because for me, and I don't want to sound up myself or anything, but I've always prided myself that if we were in the animal kingdom and this was survival of the fittest, I think I would have made it. You know, yeah. I've, I've been I've been young, strong, healthy, active, you know, all those things. I always think, yeah, I would have made it. And then suddenly I was thinking, but how come my mind is so damaged in a way? Or how come I just, I'm failing in that area and I felt really weak and I, you know, just really out of sorts. And I, I didn't feel like I was coping in that aspect at all and I didn't understand and um, I remember he sat me down and he would really talk to me about why. And one of the things that was life changing for me, he said to me, the ability to worry is actually what has kept humans alive for so long. We're not as fast as a lion. We're not as strong as a bear. But our ability to perceive danger and worry about something and put in place things to you know counteract that is what's kept people alive. We can get to a dark alley and say it's dark, it's night time. You know, I don't feel safe I'm gonna, and I'm going to go a different way. And that's what's kept us safe and kept us alive. So he said, you know, this whole survival of the fit, your mind is is actually doing what it should be. But you have the new part of the brain, which is all emotions. And those emotions can trigger those same anxious feelings that you trigger from walking into a dark into a dark alleyway. And actually your emotions or memories or can trigger the same thing. And that's where your body has, we haven't developed yet, our, you know, our instinct part of the brain hasn't developed yet to think, oh, actually, this is coming from an anxiety-driven thought as opposed to what I'm perceiving around me. And for me, I was like, it calmed me down instantly. I thought, okay, it's not, I'm not failing. I'm not weak. I'm actually using a very instinctual part of my brain, but I haven't, the new part of my brain, my emotions and, you know, those those sides, I haven't developed enough, I haven't learned enough about myself to really understand why I'm feeling this and to be able to behave differently. And so that then became my personal challenge. Okay, and now I want to make sure that I am open my mind, I understand enough about myself and why I feel certain things, and then I can respond differently. And with, you you mentioned about your, the the awareness of the impact upon your children Mm -hmm. now this is again a whole area that we could probably talk for hours about but the the inherited learnt behavior that either we pass on to the next generation or we've inherited ourselves from our our parents um i i find particularly from my background with um, eating disorders as well I've noticed how many people who struggle with food perhaps have a parent who has also struggled with food or their body image or constantly puts themselves down and being able to break free from that cycle. Um, With you and your children, when you saw it having that impact upon them, were you aware instantly of that you didn't want them to inherit this, this learnt behaviour? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I was uh, the same. I mean, I'd been doing it for years. And as I said, for me, I always thought it was keeping them safe. And I thought that, you know, whatever they're seeing, it doesn't matter because it outweighs the fact that actually if I do this, you're not going to get hit by a bus today. So I don't, I'm doing this. And it hadn't occurred to me until he said that to me. My son said that to me. It didn't occur to me that actually I'm going to affect your life in a very real, very different way. And I, I remember a, a psychologist, a, a different one who I didn't get on with. He said to me, I went to see him and he said, um, you can't honestly believe it he said look you know I understand you have these feelings but but rationally you can't believe that turning the light switch on and off 10 times is going to save your children's life and I said look I've not been doing this for the last 20 years of my life for the I actually believe it's not just fun you know I actually believe it I actually believe it and I remember he he just couldn't understand that and for as I said for a long time after after that I think it was more it was a question a big part of me believed it and a tiny bit of me didn't want to believe it a tiny bit of me and when my son did that all of a sudden I thought I need to explore that bit that whatever that tiny bit is I need to just just try I owe it to him to explore that tiny bit it's almost like I I sounds like coming at the problem there's this huge mess of 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 the of the 
of the condition and the learnt behaviour and the layers upon which you've I have uh, <laughs> therapied. Um, I have uh, I've impacted and kind of um, like built that wall up of, of the beliefs to enhance the the negative beliefs and enhance my my reliance upon the condition or the behaviour, um, and become, becomes this kind of layers and layers layers upon layers of relying upon this this um, disorder. And um, and sometimes I've I've had um, I've had psychologists come at it from the logic angle, and it's like mm -hmm. I, I but I know it's not logical. I know intellectually you can say that to me. Mm -hmm. so you can say to me, for example, with the bulimia, you know, doing this behaviour is going to be bad for your fertility, or bad for your teeth, or bad for your digestive system, or um, obviously it's wasting time, it's wasting money. It's like I know all of that. That's what I beat myself around the head with. That's the mm -hmm. guilt angle of it. That doesn't help me break free from it. No. For me, it's coming at it from from a feeling like a like a the greater good or the like this the the being able to be present in the moment and work through whatever that initial bolt of anxiety that might lead to me ha exhibiting those behaviors to calm that anxiety, being able to come at it from a di just kind of a different angle. So for you, it sounded like it, the the I'm trying to oh I'm, I'm almost imagining it being this um this kind of big ball of like uh, compressed darkness and you found a little crack yeah, exactly. where the light can kind of creep in yeah and the logic was just like hammering away at a walnut shell yeah um which wasn't going to do anything but just finding that little crack um of the feeling the emotion attached to your to your your son exactly yeah that, that definitely was what initially opened it up um and i think i so i've i've never had an eating disorder but I've definitely had times in my life where I've had what I would call disordered eating. So where I've not, you know, it wouldn't quite be classified an eating disorder, but I've definitely not been normal. I don't know what the word would be. You know, I've not been... Healthy. Like a healthy relationship with food? It's not even not healthy, but it's just been... I've just been very aware, very overly aware. Mm. And I think, like, again, a big thing that I learned through that journey that I see, you know, in all aspects of what I've experienced with mental health is, um, firstly, for me, it's a big control thing because I like being in control, you know, which lots of people can relate to, which is why people don't like getting on a plane or, you know, whatever, that, that loss of control, it's not a nice feeling. Um, I like feeling in control. And actually, I liked, I, I almost liked the challenge of that to begin with. But what I think is really important is being aware when that turns into a habit and it it's really hard to break a habit of any kind and you know even that short small journey I had with with food for me it it suddenly became a habit and actually it was almost a fear to break the habit and it was it's a really weird feeling because I'd always eaten really normally and all of a sudden I was only ever eating I don't know cereal dry cereal I, I still eat dry cereal but back then all I was eating was dry cereal I, I don't know it was just a thing that I had and it was it was being able to have the confidence to break that habit because and break routine which is I mean OCD is all about routine mm. and that was something I really struggled with and I still struggle with in general life breaking routine um but but that was something that I had to had to really learn do you think that mums because I'm not a mum uh, so I'd like to learn about this because I would like to be maybe one day if 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 that's meant to be my my path. But do you think that mums can be more prone to mental health issues? Um, I mean, things like postnatal depression is is yeah. being talked about more widely, but there's all these other nuanced conditions. I think um, I don't know statistically, but I would not be surprised. I mean, I have two children now. My youngest is six months old. I've never been this tired in my entire life. And not only being tired, which is one thing, and I hate it when people try to use that as an excuse for me, like, oh, you're tired, just don't worry about that, you're tired. Because I can still function very well, I'm just tired. But I think what it is, is there's a lot of demand on you. And even people who don't think they're putting a demand on you as a parent, there is demand. You know, like, um, I was speaking to someone about this yesterday, that, that, ideal that old school ideal of the perfect housewife is still there oh, yeah. it's no longer oh okay I need to be in the kitchen in my apron and here's dinner darling it might not look like that but it's still 
oh, I'm working and I've got children, or I haven't slept, but I'm still up and I'm still dressed, or, oh, yes, you know, yes, I am still breastfeeding and I, you know, I really carried on with that because, you know, I knew it was the best thing. And there's still so many expectations and demands on a mum's time. Obviously, your children demand your time, but, you know, the way that social media or technology is going, you never have an excuse not to be doing something. So now being a mum is not enough. You have to be a mum and... Or people say oh, you're back to work yet? Or, oh, you're not working? Or, you know, There's a lot of demand. So that level of stress, I, it wouldn't surprise me if um, mental health, it, you know, is elevated in, in mothers. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I've, I've got uh, some, lots of my closest friends are having babies now. And there's still, even with these very incredibly enlightened, feminist, strong, fierce women they're still upset that they their bodies haven't gone back to the way they were before and they're still struggling with that relationship with it, which has changed with their bodies. And, mm-hmm. and and at the same time, there's also these wonderful feminist enlightened uh, husbands and, and partners who have had the babies with them. And yet there's that natural, I don't know if that's the right word to use, <laughs> maybe not natural, um, very difficult to very powerful urge of well the man can just go off and go back to work so she's gonna have to stay with the baby and breastfeed and and then I can see how easily you can continue down that path until you've slept walked your way into well you are a housewife and some people make that choice Mm -hmm. and that is a fantastic choice if it is a choice yeah but so many people I can see kind of not not being aware of making that choice and it it just happens 100% I mean that that literally you've just described me I mean I, I always wanted to have a second child. When I when we decided to have another one, I wasn't quite ready. I, I could have waited maybe just a couple more months because I was right in the middle of some really great career things. But the age gap was big and we didn't want to be any bigger and blah, blah, blah. So we, and that was all great. But my baby's outside today because he will not feed from a bottle. He will not. So I, if if I work or go anywhere, he has to be there. I have a very physical job. I personal train people. So unless... My husband is going to be there, you know, with my son holding him on the sideline and I have to go off and breastfeed and go back. And That's the only way currently I can get anything done. As I said, it's a, it's a huge demand. It's, it's, it sounds like a, I've got a lot to look forward to when I become, <laughs> if I become a mum. So, yeah, you, you mentioned about Fitness Day because you're a personal trainer. Yes. How does being positive help you stay fit? That's kind of a catch-22 because they both they both really help each other. I think what's really what's really tricky with fitness is nowadays people see it as something they have to do. It's seen, not by everyone, but often it's seen as like, I've got to tick that box. or And no one really wants wants to engage with it. But then often you'll hear people be like, I really don't want to go for this run. But once they've been, they're like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. You know, and, and that's the feeling you have to remember. And for me, I said earlier, I love challenges. And for me to, you know, that that's a real thing. I love running in particular is my thing but you know whatever you find I think it's important to really enjoy exercise and find that enjoyment there so for me I'm drawn to it because it's a real positive in my life I think you do have to be in the right mindset though I think if you're if you're feeling negative and tired and you really don't want to go it doesn't really much matter what you do because you're, you're going to have a miserable time doing it you might be glad you did it but you won't necessarily enjoy the actual activity for me, I exercise and my relationship with exercise and it goes hand in hand with my with my mental and physical uh, health. Um, and especially with the um, I've, I've really over exercised in the past and was like four yep. hours a day in the gym before I got sectioned, okay. which was for anorexia. It was not it was a part of the illness, part of the condition. But then being able to find that balance I still I'm still trying to find that balance either doing it way too much or just not at all and being really lazy and something that I I'm still a work in progress but something that I really found key is um, separating the idea of it this is not this is not something I do to lose weight it's something I do to get physically strong um, and not in a bodybuilder way, but just to feel that strength from the in, from the core, being able to do stuff, to lift things, to move, to I've, I'm I'm hyper flexible in all my joints as oh well. Oh my gosh! So it which makes it difficult when you're exercising because I sometimes feel mm. like I'm there's no boundaries, there's no 
I'm just going to, yeah. my arms are going to flail off into a weird yeah. direction. But then being able to strengthen those ligaments to hold it in place. Yeah. And in a way, that kind of feels like a metaphor for how my brain feels with my mental illnesses as well. Of Sometimes I feel like there's the joints are in, in my mind are double jointed. They will bend all over the place and there's too many tabs open and there's yeah. no boundaries and everything's a bit blurred. And um, I'm thinking all the thoughts and feeling all the feelings and being able to look after myself with therapy is a way of strengthening uh, my mind and giving it support and structure like certain th things like um never trying to always use the word could instead of should and yep. things like earlier on in our little conversation when I corrected myself of saying you could do, 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 do. no 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 wait I I I could mm -hmm. let's take responsibility for the what I'm trying to talk about because actually I'm talking about my experience not yours so having those structures and supports from therapy has been as useful to me as having yeah. a personal trainer helping me strengthen my ligaments in my yeah. elbows. That's amazing. I mean, I love that metaphor. But also, it's um, it's really interesting. There is such a thing, um, like a theory about positive and negative addictions to exercise. Interesting. And it's really, it's about kind of how it makes you feel. So if you are leaving, if you go to the gym and you do a workout and you're leaving and you're feeling tired, irritated, you know, drained, then that would really suggest that you're maybe overdoing it. You should be leaving a workout feeling energized, positive, you know, uh, happy. Happy is such a blah, but, but do you know what I mean? You're feeling that, that real elation of that exercise. That's how it should euphoric. make you feel. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and I always find that really interesting because that's that's something that, as I'm saying, and and I think it's all about how you approach it in the first place. Um, I, I do you think the environment can 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 help that as well? Because I know that my favorite experiences of exercise, where I feel like, oh, this is a a healthier relationship with exercise as an act sometimes they they come hand in hand with uh, getting a juice on the way home and yeah. um and sitting there eat, eating a healthy meal afterwards and having that lovely lovely routine but then also occasionally breaking free from that routine just just so that I don't go back into the OCD of I have to do this otherwise yeah. I, I will not function um yeah. yes do you think that there's that holistic kind of looking after yourself oh that's a bit absolutely of a, yeah. i mean that's why i think the word wellness is much better than the word fitness because oh, a, yeah. i think um it's all about whole body health and like for me physical and mental health they are completely intertwined and they you know if i if i sit there like tense with my i'll feel stressed if i relax my body take a few deep breaths and take that time to really open my mind i'll feel a lot more zen and a lot calmer and um you know so that they're definitely intertwined and and i think what you said there at the end about being able to break that routine is is key and that's something that motherhood has definitely taught me i mean that you can try to have a routine and with my first i probably had a routine 60% of the time now i i mean i don't even know what is going on like every day is so different with two children but that's also it's been a great learning curve for me i did a schools talk recently and i love doing schools talks because you can have such a huge impact and meeting the next generation being able to say that you don't have to go down the same route i did actually you can if you're struggling with something you can get help sooner i was talking about my um how i believe that everybody is perfectly imperfect and um whether you're uh, a size 6 16 or 26 as long as you're healthy and 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 happy uh then we are all beautiful and perfectly imperfect and we did the Q&A and there were some um, some interesting questions being asked. But there was there were a couple that were they were very confident kids. And um, and there was one that was like, well, if if you were a, if you were a size 20 and you believe everyone's beautiful, then why did you feel the need to lose lose weight? And I was like, well, for me, I do believe that if you're a size 20 and you're happy and healthy in that and that's your choice fantastic that's absolutely your body and i there's that i don't i won't not going to judge you for that at all but in my own body my existence in this body i wanted to be able to do things with it that i couldn't do at that size and being able to lose that weight gradually for me felt like it was my choice not a societal thing mm -hmm. What would you have said to? What would you have told me to have said to that child? I mean, I think that's I think that's great what you said, but I'm actually kind of from a different angle. I think health for me, I think health is really important, and I I think that we definitely need to accept different body shapes. Everybody has a different body shape, and I get asked all the time, "How can I look like you? How can I look like you?" And I'm always trying to say to people, 
you will not look like uh, you you can't look like me and I'm not going to look like her and she's not going to look and he's not going to look like him you know it's just that's not possible but I do think that we need to promote health and although I think we need to accept all body types I do think that there becomes a point where it really isn't healthy but I mean again it's not so much about size really it's more about your body composition and I wouldn't it, you know it, tall people, short people, like, you know, curvy people. There's so many different aspects of body shape. And I think what you said there about, A, if you're happy, and B, if you're healthy. I mean, there does, because I know we were talking earlier about logic doesn't really get through, but there is a point where you that is something that, if it was my child, for example, where I'd be really trying to kind of do everything I can to help them go in a, in a healthier direction. And that's the, you said health so many times there. And I love that because for me, that also includes your mental health. If, yeah, yeah. If you, whatever size you are, if you're healthy in your attitude towards your body, you're not punishing it, you're not feeling trapped within it, you feel free and happy and healthy yeah. holistically, then that's, that's the best we can ever hope to achieve. The other thing I wanted to ask you about in a bit more detail is Strong Like Mum. What is Strong Like Mum? Tell us how we can get involved. So um, I set up Strong Like Mum around the time I had my first son. Um, and I think for me, I was constantly told of everything I wouldn't do again. When I was pregnant, I was told, like, oh, you'll never be active again or you'll never be able to run again or you'll never have time to sleep or you'll ne all these different things. And for me, as I said at the very beginning, being active has always been a big part of my lifestyle. And to me, it was really important that I was able to still embrace that because that's who I am. And um, and so so I set this up because I thought I really want to, and what I always talk about is shatter the stereotype. I don't think, just the way you were saying there, there's not one way to look. There is no one way to be a mother. You, it, In fact, there's no one way to be a good mother. You can be a great mother and go to work. You can be a great mother and be a, you know, focus everything on the home. You can be a mother and be a runner. You can do anything you want to, you know, there doesn't have to be one way to be a mum. So I set up Strong Like Mum and for me, I, you know, initially talked a lot about health, mental health, physical health, sports, fitness. and But that was my expression of, wanting to still retain who I was and remain Shakira as well as being mama. But, you know, whether that's you want to sit in a boardroom or you want to continue your podcast or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, I wanted I, I wanted to sort of just give mums a place where they could, you know, really feel empowered to know that actually they can do anything and, and, and be a mum. I love that. I'm getting, a, I'm writing a new show at the moment all about, uh, how we define ourselves, and um, I, can, I I'm I'm fascinated by the idea that why can't we be everything all at once? Why do I have to be either sexy or silly? Why can't mm -hmm. I be both? Why do I have to be a Madonna or a whore? Why can't I be both? Why can't I be a, a mother, a maiden, a, a wise woman? A, why can't I be everything all yeah. at once rather than constantly being boxed in and labelled? Why can't I be energetic and exhausted at the same yeah. time? Believe me, it's possible. No, it, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I, I, I once wrote an article called Motherhood, um, the world's greatest identity thief, question mark. And it was exactly about that. It was like... You know, the second you become a mum, suddenly everything's compared to that. So everyone brings it back to that. Everyone will be like, oh, God, you don't look like a mum. Or they'll say, gosh, you know, how how are you up? Because don't you have children? Or like, how? And even, even if they were trying to be really kind with it, actually, they kept comparing. And to me, it's like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Yes, you, you're a mum, but you're also so many other things, as you said, simultaneously. Absolutely. Amazing. I love this. You're giving me hope. That you, <laughs> might, you might be persuading me to one day have a child. Um, <laughs> in my head, I'm now imagining you and I having a child together, which I assume would be the most, most amazingly talented, Most amazing child. <laughs> powerful little thing. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Uh, it's time for me to mention that this episode couldn't happen without the help of our sponsor, Stagecoach. Not only a stage coach sponsoring this it will also help you to get where you need to go for a very reasonable fee uh, those large vehicles with writing above the front window are called buses and they are driven by drivers who will gladly take you to places around the area where you live in case you don't know how buses worked i felt like i needed to explain it to you uh, stagecoach they care about mental health and they'll drive you places for money what a great company it's the weirdest advert ever um, right now it's time for the solution of the episode now there have been some great suggestions sent in from our lovely listeners so far uh, some not so great but i don't want to call them out in case they're from people with sharing anxiety and it knocks their already fragile confidence so uh lovely 
lovely guys if you have any uh, listeners out there and who want to get in touch if you want to um, tell us what your solution is what your one thing that helps you the most with your mental health uh, please do tell me because I'm trying to collate them all uh, to make sure that uh, I, I have uh, more tools in my own tool belt because I thought I had loads but um, I, I can always collect more uh, anything that you that you feel has helped you um, we've had uh, hypnotherapy self-help books self-help groups comedy even uh, as a comedian that's I'm very pleased to hear that what I do help some people. Now, uh, Shakira, you have mentioned uh, to me. We, I asked you before you came on the podcast um, what your one thing helped you, that helped you the most was, and you said exercise has been a huge part of mm-hmm. your recovery, and also having children was a big catalyst for you to get help, um, and that you also think it's been important to find the right kind of help. Um, that you've tried hypnotherapy, and again, that's also been instrumental in your recovery. Can we? Just briefly, because we've we've spoken a lot about the exercise and mm-hmm. about your your children uh, children's role in in helping you get help, but the hypnotherapy. Because I've tried hypnotherapy and I've had mixed experiences. What was your experience with hypnotherapy? Do you know what that was? Um, probably the turning point. So the the point with my son that I spoke about was kind of as you said, you know, open that crack and let me explore everything. But hypnotherapy was incredible for me. I mean, at the very base level, if nothing else. It taught me how to slow down and give myself time. I hated sitting still. Whenever I was feeling really anxious, because I, I also struggled with um, anxiety attacks, and when I hated sitting still because any time I sat still, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. I'm going to have anything. So I would constantly fiddle, tap, any, anything to distract myself, even pinch myself, anything, anything, anything. And hypnotherapy really allowed me to slow down and as I said to you earlier you know physical stress and mental stress to me are related it allowed me to slow down relax my body take some deep breaths which I hated doing but now I love it take those deep breaths and really take the time to readjust my mind and learn about my mind you know you have to open your mind and really take that time to listen it helped me just sort of adjust those levels and turn the anxiety down and listen more to what else was going on Fab. Now, uh, Rethink Mental Illness, our lovely friends at Rethink Mental Illness, um, they've said that uh, what they hear a lot from people is that being with people who are in a similar boat can also be a big support as well as everything else. Not one thing is going to help uh, everybody. Uh, lots of what works for one person might not work for the next. Uh, but try things out and see what works for you. That's their biggest um, bit of advice. They've also said that knowing you're not alone Uh, is a big, big help for a lot of people. And that's why Rethink Mental Illness has helped to set up over 100 peer support groups across England. Uh, So if you are in England, uh, please go to rethink.org to find out where your nearest one is or to get advice on how to set up your own. And even if you're not in England, you can still find a lot of advice on uh, rethink.org about how to set up your own support groups and also um, advice, practical support um, about mental health and about legislation attached to mental health as well. Uh, Now over to you, listeners. What solution has helped you the most? Or if you want to give yourself room to build, what solution has helped you the second most? Uh, Tweet me your solutions at Juliet Burton, J-U-L-I-E-T-T-E-B-U-R-T-O-N. And why not at the lovely Cast Positive, uh, Positive Mental Health Attitude podcast uh, Twitter handle as well. That's at Cast Positive. Um, And where, where can we find you on Twitter as well, Shakira? So on Twitter, I'm at Shakira Akabusi. Good luck spelling that. Um, <laughs> and on Instagram, it's at shakira.akabusi. But if you search for Strong Like Mum, you'll find me there. I'm also on Instagram as well. And uh, Shakira and I have started following each other on there. Um, I'm at Juliet underscore Burton. Uh, now it's back to, to you, Shakira. We're going to do a little quick fire round before I yep. wrap up the podcast. So some quick fire questions. Who has helped you the most with your mental health conditions? If you could pick one or two people. Um, definitely the hypnotherapist and the therapist that I work with. But I'd ha- my husband, I mean, he has been incredibly patient. What bit of advice would you give to somebody who was concerned about somebody else's mental health? Um, I would say that, yes, it's, you know, it's, it's great to sort of either speak to them or speak to others. But what is most important is that they have to be ready. There's, there's, there's only so much you can do. That person has to be mentally ready to go on that journey. Uh, what is uh, something that is positive about your condition? Oh, it's taught me so much about myself and people. And I I feel like I can be a much more compassionate, open person having gone through this journey. Are there any words that you find particularly helpful or unhelpful when talking about mental health? I'm not sure about specific words, but I don't think you should ever 
put anything on someone. So let them speak and be what they are. Um, I remember my dad once saying to me, don't label yourself. So I know that I've struggled with OCD, but even that, my dad would be like, you don't need to, you don't need to put a label on it because the second you label it, you start to behave in that way. So you are who you are. Everyone's got their quirks. And if you're really struggling with it, you can definitely get through that. You just need to be able to, you know, open your mind into other ways in which to cope. What's the best thing that anyone has ever asked you about your condition? What's the best question? Oh, my gosh. What's the best question anyone's ever asked me? Just to um, help me next time I interview you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think probably the best question anyone's ever asked me is, um, what, what was the catalyst for you getting better? Excellent question. Um, and what do you wish people would ask about your condition, but they don't? I think, um, I'm not sure about what what they shouldn't ask, but I think what's really important, what people miss, is that when you struggle with one thing like OCD, the second I went through that recovery, different things popped up. So although my OCD and the all the tapping and the counting stopped, my anxiety shot up because I wasn't doing what instantly helped. And what I think people need to understand more is that, have more acceptance for, not understand, but accept more, is that although this area might be getting better and this seems to be escalating now, you're actually, you know, I'm actually coping a lot better with that. And you've got to give people space and time. Are you an expert on your condition? I feel like I am an expert on my condition. But I think what you said earlier is really important. You can always learn. And that's that's what it's taught me. I'm so much more open minded now. Yeah, <laughs> I keep I keep feeling super humbled because I, I keep being surprised it. by my condition again yeah. and again. Like, oh no, I know exactly how to how to survive this. Oh no, I know nothing. <laughs> uh, right. If somebody's listening to this podcast and they think, oh my goodness, I'm exhibiting almost identical symptoms or very similar symptoms to Shakira, what would you advise them to do? Um, I think don't give up on finding the right person to help you, as we said earlier. It's not just about the type, you know, it's not hypnotherapy or cognitive behavioural therapy. It's about finding the right hypnotherapist or the right, you know, counsellor and really exploring those options and, again, taking that time. And they can go to their GP as a, as a first point of call. Would you suggest that? Or? You can. I mean, for me, I, I, in fact, they, did, they I suppose my GP did put me in contact with the, with the person. But again, don't if you go to your GP and the person they put you in touch with isn't quite right, don't give up. Wonderful. Um, what aspects of your personality are there because of your mental health journey? Um, as I said, I, I think probably I'm much more compassionate. I think I'm I'm very stubborn and I think if I hadn't have been through this journey, I could have just bulldozed through and, you know, just let everything else fly past. And, and now I'm much more open and accepting of, of others. Final couple of questions. What's the simplest thing anyone can do to help their mental health right now? What's the one th simple thing they can do? Go outside, breathe some fresh air and find someone to talk to. Awesome. Or share, share your story. That's also been massive for me. So sorry. No, awesome. I loved it. It was suddenly like, <laughs> okay, and when the coming down, no, share, share. <laughs> it was way too loud, but share, share, guys. Like we're doing now. It's a good thing. Look how, how sharing is helping us. I'm feeling much healthier and mentally. Uh, so, do you finally like talking about mental health? Because if you don't, then I'm really sorry for interviewing I mean, you. I love talking full stop. <laughs> and um, yes, definitely. I think the more real people that talk, not just celebrity endorsements who have had a very vague, you know, time with it, but real people talking about real experiences and most importantly, real help. I will just end by saying if anybody with OCD, I used to really think I just want one person to say this. And I can tell you now, I have not done my compulsions for the last year and a half and nothing has happened. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I love Nothing that. Nothing bad has happened. Lots Nothing. of good things have happened. Nothing bad has happened. Brilliant. Uh, here's some facts about Shakira. Uh, <laughs> she has a son called Rio. And a son called Ezra. Oh, hello, Ezra. <laughs> uh, and she works with uh, big brands, including Adidas UK. Yeah. Uh, she's a qualified personal trainer specialising in pre and postnatal health and currently putting together the Strong Like Mum Method, a wellness plan which will focus on five main areas of postnatal health, activity, Ooh. nutrition, sleep, mindfulness and hydration. Oh, 
very good. That is me. That is you. That is <laughs> really you. Is. Uh, I did. I did a bit of research, <laughs> uh, and then I just chatted to you to, to say that you could tell me everything that I needed to know anyway. Uh, and if you want any further information, like the knowledge glutton that you are, uh, then please go to Rethink Mental Illness at uh, www.rethink.org. Uh, that's specifically more information about mental health conditions uh, rather than information about Shakira. I mean, you, you will see uh, on their ambassadors page a beautiful picture of Shakira alongside a beautiful picture of myself and a little bit of information about both of us uh, but yes you can uh, also get in touch with Rethink if you need some help if you're worried about your mental health uh, Rethink Mental Illness suggests that you go to see your GP in the first instance but they also offer advice and information through free fact sheets at rethink.org and a helpline uh, and you can call them on 0300 5000 927 or to say that in a completely different way 0300 <laughs> uh, lines are open Monday to Friday 9.30am to 4pm excluding bank holidays or uh, if you're not in the UK uh, or just don't fancy talking on the telephone then then you can email advice at rethink.org. For 24-7 emotional support, they also recommend that you speak to Samaritans on at 116-123 in the UK and Ireland, or you can email joe at samaritans.org. And if you're outside the UK, uh, they recommend that you go see your doctor who can recommend local support. Now, uh, finally, uh, my favourite section of the whole podcast, not because it's at the end, because I love doing this podcast <laughs> and uh, don't, no, I never want it to end, especially when I have such lovely guests as Shakira. Um, but we have a wonderful thing called The Positive Thing. Uh, that's the name of, that's the best title I could come up with. I it was a very <laughs> busy day. Uh, so in this section, I tell you something positive that I've learned. Hopefully you won't already know it because this section often makes me worry. Everyone knows more about the world than I do and I do not need another reason to be anxious. Uh, so today I'm actually going to go for something that uh, a taxi driver told me earlier today. I was a little bit late to come for the podcast today so I got an, I, I jumped into a taxi and um, and I, I'm, I haven't fact checked this yet so I'll, I'll do that retrospectively um, and if it's wrong uh, then I will let you guys know in a future podcast. But there, the taxi driver told me because um, we're recording this podcast on a, on a cock lane uh, <laughs> Lower the tone. We have been so high brow. We have up been. To this point. <laughs> uh, it's very important to laugh. That's good I'm, for your mental health. I'm worried about what the taxi driver told you now. <laughs> <laughs> I, was I was worried too because I got in and I was like, okay, go to Cock Lane, please. And he's like, oh, Cock Lane, I know where you're going. And I was going, where do you? I'm not Soho, darling. And, uh, and he said, um, he said, oh, did you know about Cock Lane? Uh, that it's where the Great Fire of London ended. And I, I was like, I actually didn't know that because I knew that it started on Pudding Lane and he said, oh yeah, it ended on Cock Lane. And apparently at the time, this is according to my my fact, this is not Wikipedia, this is this is the factual, knowledgeable taxi driver I had today. Um, he he said that it because it started, the Great Five Lines started on Pudding Lane and ended on Cock Lane, the Puritans at the time believed that it was God God's wrath punishing the gluttony of the time because pudding and cock... <laughs> I mean, I'm going with Why chicken. Why is this a positive thing? Uh, oh, it's, it's just a fun fact. <laughs> oh. Just a fun fact. You're quite right, though. That's not a very positive <laughs> thing, is it? Uh, what other things can I tell you? I want to tell you other positive things. Um, oh, hang on. Uh, penguins mate for life, and they propose by giving their prospective mate a pebble. Oh, that is so amazing. That's very cute. Uh, <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and did oh, this, this is one of my favourite things as well, um, that the elements that we are composed of were formed of the interiors of collapsing stars. We oh. are stardust. That is actually very positive to finish on. Beautiful. We're, we're all... We've got some perspective. We've all got a perspective now. Yeah, we have. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Shakira. Thank You've you been for such having an me. incredible guest. Um, once one more time, where can we find you? Strong Like Mum or just search Shakira Akabusi. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much to Rethink Mental Illness and to our wonderful guest, uh, Shakira Akabusi. Uh, this show was written and presented and produced by myself uh, and also written with Liam Byrne. And uh, lots of other people have helped us. Thank you so much for everyone at Alchemy Studios uh, to the editor Jack Davis over in the in, uh, in the US uh, and thank you so much for listening lovely listener um, if you want other reasons to stay positive why not listen to our other positive mental attitude podcasts there's loads of them out there now and um, we're going to try to keep bringing you more if anyone wants to get in touch to offer any more sponsorship please do that would be lovely uh, until the very next episode good luck staying positive you've got so many reasons too <laughs>